Hurricane season started four days ago, but don't worry fools, you're safe because this is where the money is. Hurricane season, Joel. We'll talk about it a little bit First, later. Cover that a little later. Yeah, indeed. Uh, saw a nice little tweet about that, but as always, kicking up the headlines right off the bat. Pretty big news, I think, in the energy space with the Department of Energy altering its application process and approval process for LNG exports. We've seen uh, quite a few of these come through in uh, 2013 and, and early 2014. But now it looks like the process is going to be streamlined a little bit. What do you think about the, the changes that they're making? Um, I think overall it's not really going to matter too much. I mean, traditionally how the, the process was is the Department of Energy would look at uh, the applications, and if it was good for the United States, they would approve it, and then it would have to go to the FERC, uh, which is the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. Mm -hmm. And basically they would look at that and make sure that it was economical, make sure that the building plans were right. And that actual process can be very expensive because if the uh, proposal is not quite right, they can tell them you need to add on to this or you mm -hmm. need to expand or has to be in different locations. So companies can spend up to 50 to $100 million trying to figure out the FERC approval. So what they're worried about or what they're looking at now, the Department of Energy, they're like, why don't you go and see if it's economical first and then we can see if it's right. good for the United States. So technically, I don't think it really matters. I think uh, some of the, the people that are do going through the application process are worried that they're going to spend that 50 to $100 million then get to the DUE and, you know, the DUE, I guess, could be a little bit more politicized yeah. and then they could get uh, drawbacks. You might just get some lawsuits there, but I don't think it really matters. Yeah, I think it's really going to kind of shake out the, the smaller players because they're not going to want to spend that 50 to 100 million up front, like you mentioned. So boost the, the prospects of uh, Exxon Mobil backed um, pro facility down in the Golden Pass, mm -hmm. currently number nine on the DOE's list, but they've already had in the pre-process approval for FERC. So step ahead of the game because Everybody knows ExxonMobil has plenty of cash to spend 50 sure. to 100 million on the likelihood of getting this passed. I personally think it's a good thing uh, because you look at about a little over 10 billion cubic feet per day of, of natural gas exports being approved. Some people don't expect even half of that yeah, to actually take place because companies that have applied haven't even broke ground yet in a lot of the cases. So I think that giving companies that are clearly more serious about yeah. this process, um, the, the go-ahead is probably a smarter idea. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of worry that we're approving too much LNG exports mm -hmm. to non-free trade agreement countries. And, you know, a lot of these projects, like you mentioned, aren't going to have the funding to right. actually go through it. So instead of giving kind of, um, I, I guess, letting some of the opponents, giving them some ammo, right. they're kind of taking that away and making sure that the actual process or the companies that have the money and the funding to actually do it go through. So I think it's overall, I mean, it doesn't really matter. It's just going to kind of limit the amount of uh, non-free traded uh, uh, applications that mm -hmm. have been approved, you know, down from the seven that we saw over the last year. Or so. Yeah, everybody looks at the headline number of over 10 billion cubic feet, but who knows if any of that will actually come online in a timely fashion. That takes us to the next headline, uh, continuing with exports, this time with crude, something that I've been publicly against here sure. on uh, digging for value now where the money is, um, but Continental Resources and Harold Ham. Keep, keep beating down the door for crude oil exports. They've actually applied to export crude, and shockingly enough, their application hasn't been denied yet. Hasn't been denied yet. Yeah. And, you know, Harold Hamm, he's, a, he's original wildcatter. <laughs> wildcatter. So why not go out the there and, and do it? And this makes sense for their, this company because they are primarily a Bakken yep. producer. You know, they have a, over, what, over a million uh, acres in that play. Mm -hmm. 
And if you look at the pricing that you're getting out of the Bakken, it's about $97 per barrel. If you compare that to the WCI, which is the, the domestic price, it's at $102. Mm -hmm. And then the Brent price, which is the, what they want to target, it's at $107. So there's a $10 spread that they're trying to get their, their oil out of the Bakken, move it probably to the, the West Coast, and right. then ship it overseas. There's going to be some transportation costs in there. But you know, with the $10 spread after transportation costs, you could still have a couple dollar margin. So I think that's where they're wanting to do. I don't think anything ever is going to happen um, about this. Mm -hmm. The application will get denied. Um, <laughs> but I think it's just one more way to go out there and, and try to keep putting the uh, the pressure on a lot of the, re uh, the regulators mm -hmm. to try to either get this uh, decision decided. Yeah, and in the transportation you highlighted, um, a lot of rail transportation being used out of the Bakken. So I could see them being able to transport that uh, easily to the Pacific Northwest as it is uh, geographically closer than the Gulf of Mexico, which is where they've been sending the majority of their oil. So um, yeah, the Bakken is obviously still growing, one of the best producing regions in the United States. And if they're not treated with respect as far as transportation is concerned, you saw Keystone XL still not being approved, mm -hmm. which would, wouldn't help the Bakken tremendously, but it would probably still give them some additional takeaway capacity. So um, yeah, right now, uh, obviously Harold Ham has his sights set on exports, but I guess you and I both agree that that's it, probably yeah, not going to happen. It, it's not going to happen. And he's, his argument is, you know, we have light, sweet, crude. Uh, we have a lot of refiners that can't take as much light, sweet, mm -hmm. crude, so why can't we ship it to the people that can refine it? Yep. But that argument's not going to go anywhere, <laughs> I don't think. Not holding much water uh, in my mind either. Um, pretty interesting headline, though, that came out from Barron's talking about Barclays, the bank, mm -hmm. downgrading electric utility bonds, sees viable solar competition. Uh, this has been a long time coming in my mind, solar being competitive with uh, broad-scale utilities, natural gas and, and nuclear uh, and all that, but um, yeah, Barclays coming out and pretty much damning the whole bonds of the entire electric utility sector right now, which has been a traditional stalwart for people looking for yield uh, in oh, yeah. both the equity and bond terms. Yeah, they were, best, they were the safe investments. But, you know, I, I look at one of the, the quotes they had in the article, and it says, over the next few years, however, we believe that a confluence of declining cost trends in distributed solar pho photovoltaic power generation and residential uh, scale power storage is likely to s disrupt the status quo. Mm -hmm. Over the next few years, I don't really see that. I think I think we're starting to uh, see it get competitive in Hawaii. It's competitive, and yep. that's you know pretty obvious because it's hard to actually ship uh, sure. power over there. California, they're expecting that to happen in 2018, and that's a, a state that's actually had their renewable portfolio standard moving to the 35% or 33% by mm -hmm. 2020. Still, they're looking at 2018 for solar to be cost competitive without some of the the um, subsidies that they have. So I think this is a little short sighted. I don't think in the next few years. Yes, I think eventually that's where it's going. Mm -hmm. And you know, some of the incumbents, if they're going to not kind of address a lot of these changes, I think they could be burned. I think their credit rating should reflect that. But you're seeing companies like NRG that are starting to build out the trans or move into the transmission game and not try to pick the winners on power. Yeah, I like the quote from the CEO. I'm just going to paraphrase because I don't remember it exactly, but he's like, I'm not anti-gas, I'm not anti-nuclear, I'm not anti-wind. I'm just anti-BS because he wants it to be just the all-in power portfolio. He doesn't want all these individual parties coming out and talking their own deck. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what you see from a lot of utilities right now. And who would have thought that we could potentially see peak utility before we saw peak oil? I mean, this is just crazy right now to think that some of these humongous multi-billion dollar utilities could be on the way out. 
all because the power of the sun is finally being harnessed in an economical fashion. I, I agree, and I also don't think it's only solar, what wind has done over the last exactly, few years. Yeah. I mean, that's outpacing the production that solar has. So, and then that's also in the areas where they're actually competing against coal. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, and those are usually the incumbents that are really stalwarts and are actually just sticking with their original plans and not really addressing some of the changes. So I think that, I think renewable overall, not just solar is kind of uh, where Barclays is looking yeah. over this. So poor, it's, poor it's, coal. it's interesting. Very just, interesting. Just, coal, yeah, coal just keep, coal. keeps getting hit. <laughs> let's, uh, let's move on to some games. Okay, you let's got, have uh, it. We got uh, Thursday morning quiz, games. Or Thursday morning stock quiz. Yeah. Our first uh, one, I'm going to give you a multiple choice quiz. Okay. Uh, what year did the United States hit peak oil production? Was it 1968? 1970, 72, or 1973? It's a pretty tight range there I'm working with. Um, I believe it was in the 70s, so I'm gonna go 72. 72. Was that C? I think that was 72 C. 72 was right when it started creeping down. It was uh, B, 1970. Oh, right. And that at the was cusp. at 9.6 9 million barrels a day of production yeah. in the United States. Um, you know, this year, <laughs> we're this year we're looking at... The little at, engine that could. <laughs> yeah, this year we're looking at 8.42 yeah. for com, uh, comparison. But you know what? I don't think that 1970 will be the peak production. I think we're going to surpass that Let's in hope the so. next few years. Uh, if you look at Texas and North Dakota, two of the biggest uh, producing states, in 2013 they grew their production by 30%. Mm -hmm. um, Gulf of Mexico, there's 18 projects opening up this year and next year, and that's going to be... Um, I'm thinking around 1.2 to 1.5 million barrels. If that's the case, I think 2016, 2017, we will meet that 9.6 and, and maybe surpass it. So I don't think that's yet the peak uh, capacity that the United States will produce. And unless Harold Ham has his way, it's all going to be ours, which will be a nice thing to finally return to that, that level that can compete internationally a little bit better with OPEC uh, as far as um, influence is concerned on global oil prices. So I guess I have to return the favor now with the stock quiz of my own. A um, little bit, a little bit topical here. Which energy company does not do business in Russia? Does not do business in Russia. Exxon Mobil, BP British Petroleum, C Statoil, or D none of the above. I think this is a trick question. <laughs> is it in Russia or Russian waters? Ah, uh, I guess we have to go all, all Russia. Russia. I think waters. all Russia. Okay, well, we include that. If, if that's the case, I think BP is invested in Russian oil, yes. but I don't think they're actually producing, so I'm going to go with BP. That's true. Yes, you are correct. They are only actively engaged in the financial side of things. They're not actually doing any drilling. Uh, you do see uh, ExxonMobil has several joint ventures with Rosneft trying to develop Russia's shale. Uh, Exxon has a lot of um, experience doing that, and then Statoil working with Rosneft in the Arctic exploration, which I could see that might be, uh, might be the point of confusion there with the Russian waters. waters. Yeah, so BP still has a 19.6% stake in Rosneft, uh, $1 billion in profit in the fourth quarter of last year from that, from that stake, but Rosneft is doing all the drilling, so BP is just a financier of sorts. There we go, finally. I, 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 Joel has uh, got the lead building right now. I think, I think I got the last one wrong too, didn't I? Uh, yeah, oh and two. <laughs> oh and two, got, two uh, it's all right. It's a long season. <laughs> That's true. Um, you can uh, definitely work your way back. Let's uh, let's move on to the mailbags, why don't we? Let's hit it. Let's do it. Uh, today we have a question from Super Sid. His question is: Energy is a, a or Enbridge is a boring pipeline and uh, distribution company, right? Yeah. So why does it have such a stratospheric PE? Hmm. Well, I mean, just looking at the way that the company's been operating, it seems 
on a sales and a growth perspective, they've been doing very well. Revenues growing 17% for the last five years on an annual growth rate basis. Um, but EPS is down 21.7% per year over that same time frame. Predominantly because rising commodity costs, you see um, their oil and natural gas storage um, really driving some higher operating costs, and that's been eating away at that top line that's been growing pretty impressively. Um, I think maybe you know a lot of people have been buying into the pipeline game because North American production, like we mentioned, mm -hmm. might not have peaked. It might be returning to that peak for oil and natural gas, especially when you factor Canada in, which is where Enbridge has a lot of operations. Mm -hmm. um, very, very nicely tied to the entire North American energy infrastructure. Um, that being said, uh, the, the PE is definitely higher because these earnings just continue to shrink, but people continue to buy in, driving the stock price higher. They do have a lot of projects and joint ventures that they're working on that I think could continue to drive that top line. But until I see some operational efficiencies or maybe the price of commodities start to stabilize a little bit, um, that, that PE is definitely a little bit unjustified in my mind. Yeah, it's 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 high, but you know, if I'm looking at Enbridge uh, Pipeline Partners, what I think you know, if you look at Yahoo Finance today, it's a 221x um, yeah. multiple, <laughs> which is very high. But you know, this is an MLP, and master limited partnerships are required to return 90% of cash flow after expenses to shareholders, mm -hmm. so that PE is going to look a little wide. And I don't think that's the metric you're supposed to be looking at here. If you wanted to look at a price to something metric, I think you'd have to look at price to distributed cash flow because as an investor in here, you're looking at that 7% yield yeah, and that's, that's exactly what you're right. banking on. You're hoping for a little growth, but this is an area that is required to distribu distribute their money back to unit holders so they don't have a whole lot to grow with. They mm -hmm. have to grow with debt. So if you look at that metric, the price to distributed cash flow, that's around 15 times, which is it's not great. This is, like you mentioned, uh, they need to get better at, uh, in operations. They need to start looking at a little more growth in that area. And you're not looking at that now. Their distribution coverage ratio is okay. And you can count on that 7, 7.2% yield yep. there. But, you know, I do think that they they should be able to uh, improve some of their um, costs and then grow that way. But I don't think the PE, anytime you're looking at yeah. MLPs, is ever something you want to, to look at in that, yeah. in that case. Investors do kind of zero in on PE, but energy is kind of one of the few industries that kind of shuns that. You look at book value more in banking, but uh, you kind of look at reserves and distributed cash flow depending on which energy company you're looking at. So that's something for listeners to keep in mind when, when valuing or trying to find an undervalued energy company. PE might not be the, be the one to do the trick. Yeah, I don't think it's one I yeah. rarely ever use in this sector. Exactly, same here. Um, so that moves from our mailbag onto what we've seen in the news via Twitter. We're gonna check out some tweets from the Twitter universe. The first one I wanna talk about goes back to our opening fray into the show from the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration at NOAA. Hurricane season started June 1st. Um, they're predicting that it's not going to be that harsh of a hurricane season, but hurricanes have historically had quite an impact on the energy industry. Last year, uh, kind of an anomaly, the lowest uh, land-reaching hurricane or tropical storm year in the last couple of decades with um, only tropical storm Andrea. So 2008 and 2012 still resonate pretty highly with Gustav and Ike in 2008 and Isaac in 2012. But I think with the United States, on land shale boom. I think even if storms do hit the Gulf of Mexico um, area like we have seen in the past, we're a little bit more insulated from that because we see production in so many more inland areas rather than just in the Gulf and rather than just uh, in, the, in the Galveston refining area right there. Yeah, it, it, you know, last year was kind of a nice season where we didn't have anything that reprieve, was too yeah. disruptive. 
but it only takes one. Mm -hmm. And you know, if you go back to 2012, Hurricane Sandy showed up so late in the year, it wasn't expected to hit the East Coast. Right. And you know, I think that's really changed some of the refiners on the East Coast. Phillips 66 that year, um, they basically had one of their uh, New Jersey refiners go out of business for about two weeks. Mm -hmm. it flooded pretty bad. And you know, on Facebook now they're saying June 1st, this is the start of the season. We are sending out a preparedness instructions for their employees so their employees know what to do, what happens. And then also what the company strategy should be if something like this does occur again. And that's something I don't think you would ever see in the New Jersey right. area previous to this. So I think a lot of companies are getting prepared for it. So even if one of the hurricanes do hit, I don't think, I think we're a lot more insulated than mm -hmm. we were a few years ago. Yeah, that's a big hub. People don't really realize that a lot of gas is moving in and out of the New York area, um, obviously Texas and Louisiana get the bulk of the headlines when it comes to moving petroleum products, but New York's definitely a, a big portion right there, New York, New Jersey. Um, on to our next tweet, mm -hmm. uh, turning to Buffett, he's trying to take on the whole wild, wild west with the utility and renewable energy sector here, trying to combine all these different power producers into one big operating unit, not under the same structure for shareholders, but mm -hmm. in order to try and collaborate and make sure that power is being distributed more efficiently um, in an area where, uh, you know, temperatures do rise quite frequently in the summer in California, Nevada, areas that Buffett has spent a lot of money on oh, recently. Envy Energy, uh, $8.7 billion, and Pacific Corp, $10.7 billion. So Western energy is something that Buffett clearly believes in, and now he's trying to unify that. What's your thought on this? Yeah, it's, uh, Buffett has been going after a lot of renewables, and the reason that is California has some of the highest electricity prices, and they have that renewable portfolio right. standard that we've talked about that needs to be 33% by 2020. So he's been buying a lot of resources. You know, he bought Pacific Corp a long time ago, um, and basically that's a big um, Northwest uh, utility where he can actually generate a lot of hydropower, mm -hmm. move that down to California. We talked about it when he bought Nevada Energy, which was very interesting. You know, it was kind of like, why go after this company at this time? And basically, they have a lot of transmission where you can connect from the Northwest, move it down. Also, it's a, it goes through a territory where mm -hmm. there's a lot of solar. So he's getting a lot of these projects that will, he'll be able to turn around and sell into California. What I like about this deal is he's starting to combine the California ISO. He's getting the Pacific Corp. So he's getting all the traders together, and they're going to make trades per hour. So what that means is if there's a big uh, spike in demand, he can fill that, uh, that renewable energy, bring it down there. And when you can fill demand, utilities have to pay mm -hmm. for whatever price it is because they can't let their customers go in the right. dark. So you can pay 10, 20, 30, upwards X times the amount of, for electricity. And if you can trade it every hour and he has a lot of the renewables yeah. and on-demand uh, sourcing, in that area, I think it's a great move once again for Warren Buffett. <laughs> it just shows what you know how far ahead he's thinking. Because when he bought Nevada Energy, you know, he, he, people didn't really realize the the connections that mm -hmm. he could bring renewable energy through. So you know, they were just thinking it's a safe utility adding on to his portfolio. Now he was thinking years ahead, and it's still built, being built out. Nevada Energy. Hopefully, if this gets past FERC, will come on a year later. The ISO, California ISO, and Pacific Corp will be pretty immediate. Yeah, I think it's going to highlight the importance of transmission assets versus production assets, especially as we move, like we talked about earlier in the show, about renewable energy. Um, he's also building two of the largest solar farms in the world out in California, mm -hmm. which would clearly tap into this if, if this gets approved. So, Buffett, always a step ahead or, or possibly two or three steps ahead of the yeah, game. Yeah, and this thing has a lot to play out. And yeah. It's going to be. It's going to be a big boon for him. It'd be exciting. He's got a lot of clout, so I wouldn't be surprised to see it go through. Uh, right. Finally, got one more. 
One more, I think. Yeah, a little bit more of a fun one. Um, Forest Service tweeted out the other day that June is uh, National Great Outdoors Month. This Saturday is uh, National Trails Day. Fishing and Boating Week is all this week, and Marina Day is next weekend. So Fishing and Boating Week this week. Yeah. I'll tell you what, if I had a boat, I would be out there this week. Me too. There's a lot going on in the Potomac this weekend, this past weekend, with uh, the nice weather we've had. But uh, you're from the Pacific Northwest up there in Seattle. What's one of your favorite national parks that you might have checked out since it is such a uh, you know, beautiful I, area out there? I, I really like the Olympic uh, Rainforest National Park. Yeah. Um, that's on the west side of Seattle. Uh, very beautiful place. There's a lot of hiking there. That's on the ocean. Uh, very green. That's yeah. one of, probably one of my favorite parks in the Pacific Northwest. What about uh, North Carolina? What, what do they got there? Uh, you got the Appalachian Trail, man. It's beautiful. It's nowhere compared to the Rockies or some of the mountains out there in the Pacific Northwest, but um, links Georgia to Maine, and you can hop on it at any time. And then also here, you've got the Great Smoky Mountains um, and the Shenandoah Valley in Western yeah. Virginia. So, actually, recently visited that. Did you? Yeah, first time. First it's time. nice. Good rolling hills, good good hikes, and it's very well very well taken care of. And it's only a couple hours outside the nation's capital, so plenty of opportunities yeah. for get out and enjoy for the, fools to get, get out, out there. Enjoy the weekend. Exactly. I know we had a foolish hike on Saturday um, here in Great Falls and uh, outside of Northern Virginia, so a lot of fools partake in that. Got a few camping trips coming up, I'm sure, but uh, being outdoors is something that we do a lot here at The Fool, so get outside in June. Take the podcast with you, though. Yeah, maybe send your questions. That's it. TMF yeah, Energy, TMF or was it Energy, energy at, fool. at Fool.com. That's it. Two ways to reach us, so you can be like Super Sid and get your question answered on where the money is. For Joel, I'm Taylor. Fool on.